Welcome to the European Treble, bringing you the latest football news from across the continent, with Linus Harrington and myself, Jasper Shiner. Coming up in today's show, from goalkeeper to goalscorer, Delirium's 95th minute equaliser gives Benevento their first Serie A point. A show at the San Siro as Perisic crucifies Kievo to send into top. Mind the gap, Atletico Madrid are the only top four side to win in La Liga. And Ramos sees red as goalless Galacticos continue to struggle. Strasbourg stunned PSG as the French league leader's unbeaten run comes to an end. Bayern pull clear of the closely contested chasing pack in the Bundesliga. Plus we look ahead to the final group stage games in the Champions and Europa League. All this and more over the next 45 minutes. Hey guys, welcome back to week three of the European treble. We really appreciate you guys joining us once again and all of your constant engagement with the show, your comments, your feedback. Uh, it's only going to make our show better and make it a lot easier for you guys to listen to. So uh, Jasper, how's your week been? Uh, busy. Yeah, I've dabbled in some other sports. Uh, I went and watched some handball. That was very interesting. Uh, and then I had the pleasure of standing on a beach in North Devon for five hours filming some surfing in minus five conditions. So that was enjoyable. Yes, it's now December, so I'd rather you than me standing in that cold weather for all that time. Uh, how about uh, football? Anything interesting for you in the football this week? Uh, yeah, I watched quite a lot. Um, <clears throat> most notably Schalke played Cologne at the weekend. Uh, ruined my accumulator. Um, but yeah. Yeah, home Cologne uh, drawing. We'll get into that a bit later, but Cologne seems to be the thorn in both of our sides at the moment. Ruined your accumulator, so they beat Arsenal in the champion, uh, the Europa League, rather. There's me living in the past <laughs> as an Arsenal fan. Uh, the good old days. Um, no, they beat uh, us in the Europa League a few weeks ago. So, Cologne, we're, uh, we're not happy with you right now. You're, you're ruining things for both of us. And obviously you mentioned Arsenal. Uh, Linus is an Arsenal fan. Yep. I'm a Southampton supporter. And obviously we go head-to-head this weekend in the Premier League. Yeah, so for the next four or five days we're going to finish recording this, get out of here and not speak to each other for four or five days as we become bitter rivals uh, for half a week. Uh, we're going to come in on Monday and one of us isn't going to like the other one very much. Yeah, um, not feeling confident. No, I, I can't say the same either. <laughs> we both have very little faith in our teams going into this game, which uh, says a lot about how our seasons are going. Um but I think that's enough on English football. Let's jump straight into the Serie A. So in Serie A, Benevento registered their first ever points in Italy's top flight thanks to a 95th-minute header from goalkeeper Alberto Brugnoli against AC Milan. It was uh, Gennaro Gattuso's first match as AC Milan manager following the second of Vincenzo Montella last week. The Rossoneri led twice through goals from Bonaventura and Kalinic before Alessio Romagnoli was sent off in the 75th minute. Uh, despite holding on for the last 20 minutes of the match, Benevento equalised in the 95th minute thanks to a diving header from their goalkeeper to send the Stadio Ciro Vigorito into pandemonium. The draw marks their first ever points in Serie A, having lost all previous 14 games this season. Uh, after the match, keeper Brignoli said... Someone from the bench told me to go up. There was nothing to lose. I went to jump. I closed my eyes. It was an instinctive act. I'm happy for everyone, the club president, who never said a word out of place, for the fans who are living a dream and who certainly expected something better. It was the fairy tale story of Europe this week, wasn't it? 
Um, yeah, most definitely. So, uh, and also <laughs> very high quality finish from a goalkeeper. Might yeah, I yeah. Um, I, I'm actually a bit of an AC Milan fanboy. Uh, yeah, I've mentioned, mentioned it the last week, few weeks. Yeah. Um, so I'm a bit heartbroken because I really wanted Gattuso to kind of come in and galvanise the team and, and, and make a difference. And he's definitely made an impact, not necessarily on the pitch. No. What do you make of his comments after the game? Um, interesting. I mean, also quite hilarious. Uh, he's, we all know he's a bit of a personality. Yeah, he's um, a fun man in press conferences, to say the least. He is. Uh, so um, if you haven't seen it, um, I highly advise you to go and kind of root out his press conference post-match. Uh, he had some very amusing things to say about the goal. Yeah, I like the the, the the one that stands out for me, the comparison of the the goal to one he's conceded uh, to Bayern Munich in 2007. He's comparing the last-minute header from Benevento to Van Boyten's header in the Champions League quarter-final. So there you go, uh, Brignoli, you're being compared to a Champions League quality goal. Uh, which I think is quite nice. Also, I liked his other comparison of the goal. Uh, yeah, so Gattuso uh, also was less impressed. Uh, he said he'd rather have been stabbed <laughs> than concede the goal. Um, which I think, from someone who's not been stabbed, I, think, I feel like I'd rather concede a goal than be stabbed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, this is the sort of thing we expected from him, isn't it? We yeah, We expected it is. him to be this sort of mad dog personality. We wouldn't want to have been those AC Milan players in the dressing room after the game. No, for sure. Um, I think he's very passionate about the club. Um, he's AC Milan through and through. He obviously came out and stated that he was most definitely not walking away from the club, as contrary to some rumours in the Greek press. So I, I, I'm wishing, I'm wishing and I'm waiting and I'm hoping that he'll have some sort of impact. I don't think AC Milan are going to do a lot this season in the league. I think their focus is very much going to be on the Europa League yeah. uh, and trying to secure some Champions League football through winning that competition. Yeah, I think the concern is, I said last week when they uh, played, uh, who was it they played last week, Torino, when they then uh, stacked Montella and bought in Gattuso, I said if they can't beat Benevento, that's an awful sign of how things have gone. Lo and behold, they haven't beaten Benevento. But for Benevento, it's nice. It's like, it's, it's not like a ridiculous start of a salvation. They're probably still going to go down. But it's their first point in Serie A in history. And for those fans, that's that's quite a moment. Yeah, um... Obviously, the scenes at the ground after the goal was scored, the atmosphere around the club, it, it will be very, very positive. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them maybe pick up some more points through the rest of the year. But from one Milan to another, Inter Milan are now top of Serie A. A 5-0 win against Chievo. Ivan Perisic getting a hat-trick at the San Siro. And they are now one point clear at the top. So different fortunes for different Milans. Where do you see this title race now going because it's been blown wide open this week. Um, we've been saying it for weeks now that Serie A has really been our go-to league in terms of, of, of watching football and, and following because it's been so closely fought. Um, Inter Milan have been kind of slowly, 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 slowly creeping up on the league leaders and obviously with Napoli and Juventus going head-to-head this week they've really taken advantage of that and have leapfrogged Napoli into first position. Um, Ivan Perisic with a very, very good hat-trick. Yeah, he's a very, uh, very impressive set of I also goals. think he's a very underrated player. Um, he was obviously linked with Manchester United earlier in, earlier in the year. And, and looking at the way he's played so far this season, you can see why they were after him. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them go in for him in January as well. No, yeah, he could be subject to a big money move. And it's the kind of player that deserves that kind of move. I think ever since the uh, 2014 World Cup in Brazil, he's been slowly seen as 
a very underrated talent. He was very good at that World Cup. He's been very good for Inter Milan ever since then. Um, and you mentioned Napoli, you mentioned going head-to-head. What a tie that was. Despite being only a 1-0 win for Juventus, it was a very entertaining 1-0. Yeah, but- a big result for Juventus. Um, Napoli have been the team so far this year in Serie A. Uh, they've been scoring goals for fun. Uh, the attacking flowing football they've been playing has been brilliant, but Juventus have really come back strong in the last few weeks. They've put a good run of results together. Uh, and obviously that big that win over Napoli, you know, it's a big three points. Uh, it closes the gap. They're just now one point behind Napoli and Napoli one point behind Inter Milan at the top of the table. Yeah, it's cut the, the entire top three down to just two points. And it's a tale as old as time. An old friend comes back to bite Napoli, Gonzalo Higuain. Boy, they hate him. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one for Napoli. They went for a few years of losing players. Obviously, they lost um, Higuain to Juventus. Uh, and then, obviously, Cavani, they they lost to PSG prior to that. Ezekiel Lovetsy uh, as well. Yeah, he went to China. So, they really did disband their old team uh, and have assembled this very young youth, you know, this youthful, energetic side. And it's, and it's working wonders for them. Yeah, but you remember when um, Higuain first left, he was despised by the Napoli fans there was I think was it when he um, broke his is it his ankle or he picked up a major injury when he first signed with Juventus there was a pizza shop in Napoli that offered one euro pizzas for the entirety of his injury length that's how much they hated him and he's come back again to haunt them uh, 12th minute goal being the only one in the match and it decides a very important title match so the, the whole of Serie A now is looking even more exciting than it was last week, and we didn't think that was physically possible. I said Inter Milan 39 points, Napoli 38 points, and Juventus 37 points. Where the rest of the league goes from here, it's anybody's guess. Um, and obviously you mentioned the top three teams there, but I wouldn't leave Roma or Lazio out of that that kind of bracket. Both both teams with a game in hand uh, and both sat very closely behind the, the top three. Um, it's going to be a very interesting you know, chase for the European places. Yeah, exactly. So especially if Roma win that game, they go level one points with Juventus. So they're not completely out of it. It's just until the points are on the board, you can't really say that they're fully in the race. Plenty of interesting storylines coming out of La Liga this week. Uh, goalless Galacticos, Sergio Ramos saw red as Real were held by Bill Bau. Real Madrid missed the chance to cut the gap on Barcelona at the top of the Liga as Bilbao held the champions to a goalless draw at San Mams on Saturday evening. Ronaldo came closest to winning it for the visitors as he hit the woodwork with a fine volley midway through the second half. But any hope Real had of taking advantage of Barca's drop points earlier in the day were dashed when Sergio Ramos was red-carded for an elbow in the face of Artis Andruiz. Zidane insists he's not worried by his side struggle in front of goal, but conceded that there was one thing that prevented Real from claiming what he felt would have been a deserved victory. He said, I'm very happy with the performance and very disappointed not to have scored, but above all for the players. I'm very disappointed because with the game we played, we knew that we had the chance to cut the gap, but the shame is that we did everything in the end but couldn't score. I feel we deserve more. Interesting comments from Zidane. Yes, um, the worry seems to continue for Real Madrid. We keep saying each week that they're not performing in front of goal and it's costing them. And once again, they're just not scoring in a match that... Normally, you'd expect them to put 3-4 past Bilbao, no disrespect to Bilbao, but that's the Real Madrid we've become accustomed to. And again, they've failed to do so. 
it was very much a game that Madrid dominated. Uh, they had high amounts of possession, but with only four shots on target. So it is very much that, you know, Madrid seem to have this platform where they're controlling and playing well in games, but they're just not finishing off the opportunities they create or they're not creating enough opportunities. Ramos's red card against Bilbao was his 19th in the league, surpassing the record set by Pablo Alfaro and Javi Aguado, both of whom were dismissed 18 times. Ramos saw red on this occasion for elbowing Artis Adjuriz in the 86th minute, having already been booked for fouling Raul Garcia earlier in the goalless draw. It was his 24th red card of his career, which is twice as many as any other Real Madrid player in history. Fernando Hierro is closest to Ramos with 12. So the question I'm going to ask Linus is, Ramos is a very, he's an elite defender. He's considered one of the best centre-backs in world football. But do you need that fiery side of you, that kind of, that, that cutting edge, that aggression to really bring out the best qualities in him? I think, I think so. Someone like Ramos, he's, a, like you said, he's an elite defender. You can't get around that. But part of his game is that you do not mess with him. I think in most top teams, you have to have that nasty guy, that really nasty player that you don't want to play against. Uh, teams, some of the greatest teams in the past. You look at Manchester United in the early 2000s, like Roy Keane, even further back, like Diego Maradona. They were nasty men. You didn't want to play against them, and it's what defines Ramos. I think the surprising thing is that it is 24 reds, and when you see he's played half his career as a right back, you don't really see right backs get red cards. But I think that's testament to his personality as a player. He does not mess around, and he will happily kick you around the pitch if he has to. I think it's a shame for Ramos uh, to break the record. Um, it's, it kind of poses the question, will he be remembered as a nasty player over everything else? You know, Will we remember him for the red cards or the achievements? I think because he's got so many achievements in his career, eventually that will be what he's remembered for. In comparison to, say, his former teammate Pepe, who doesn't have the accolades that Ramos has, he will be remembered for being a nasty, nasty player that gets sent off all the time. I think Ramos is had a good enough career to surpass that reputation when looking back on him in history. Second place Valencia lost for the first time in the league this season as Hatafe beat them to leave Barcelona five points clear at the top. The hosts who move up to eighth in the table played 65 minutes with 10 men after Maro Amabari was sent off for a second booking. Marco Bagara scored the only goal with his 25-yard strike deflecting in off Gabriel Paulista. I mentioned Barcelona. They were also held to a draw as they drew 2-2 with Celta Vigo at the new Camp. Lionel Messi scored his first goal in six matches uh, in an entertaining 2-2 draw with Celta Vigo. Uh, the visitors took an unlikely 20th-minute lead as Iago Aspas netted from a rebound, but Messi equalised less than two minutes later. Suarez gave the hosts the lead before Maxi Gomez equalised in the 70th minute. Barcelona will now be without centre-back Samuel Umtiti for eight weeks after he tore a hamstring in the game. Um, it's an injury that means Barca will have to rely on the injury-prone Thomas Vermaelen to partner on Gerard Piquet until Mascherano returns from a hamstring problem midway through December. Ernesto Valverde said that losing Samuel right now is a big loss. He was in excellent form. The injury cost us the goal. It was an accumulation of catastrophes and conceding the equaliser and the injury at the same time was disastrous. It's such a bad timing for the for the injury to MTT. Mascherano's future is also in doubt. Obviously, he's back. He's supposedly back in December, but then he may well be off in January. Barca may well need to buy. Yeah, one of the big issues with Barcelona is that lack of depth in centre-back, and it has been like that for years, and now it's being exposed. Obviously, you've got Gerard Piquet, who's a regular but always prone to a red card. 
MTT's now injured, Mascherano's injured, and that only leaves Thomas Samarin, who has a historic reputation of always being injured. So we could be seeing a state of play where in a few weeks' time Barcelona have no centre-backs, which if they want to go on and maintain that dominance of the league that they've currently got, that is going to cost them. Losing MTT is huge. Since he's gone to Barcelona, he's been fantastic. As Alverde says, it's a big loss. He's been in excellent form. And it's an injury like that cost them two points. With Valencia losing, uh, Real Madrid dropping points, this is a huge, huge chance to really, really step away from the rest of the league. They haven't quite done that. They got away with it with Valencia losing. But, yeah, losing centre-backs and losing points, more importantly, could come back to bite Barca on the backside. It's been an issue for Barca since Carlos Puyol retired. They haven't really filled that gap at the centre of defence. Um, we've had players come and go, like Jeremy Mathieu, who's now at Lisbon, who they play in midweek. Um, and it's obviously Umtiti's kind of plugged that gap for now, but with, with that injury and Mastrano looking to leave in January, it may well be that Barca have to recruit in that area. So Atletico Madrid, who are one point below Valencia, they were the only top four team to win in La Liga this weekend, coming from behind to beat Real Sociedad 2-1 on Saturday. The visitor took a 28th-minute lead at the Metropolitano when Mikel Oyrathabal was brought down by goalkeeper Jan Oblak. William Jose converted from the spot to score in the fourth consecutive game for the first time. But Atletico levelled when Sal Niguez set up Felipe Luis after 62 minutes. Atletico pressed for a winner and it came three minutes from time. Saul again provider as Antoine Griezmann stroked home his fourth goal in three games. And we'll end on a positive note as Eduardo Barrizzo is on the mend and he's been given the all clear to go home from hospital just ahead of the game this weekend. Everybody's very optimistic that the cancer has been found and removed and in time for him to return just after Christmas. He will be boosted by the fact that Sevilla have recorded their third straight win after beating Deportivo 2-0 at home, now level on points with fourth place Madrid. Now we'll take a look at Liga. Paris Saint-Germain surrendered their unbeaten record when they slumped to a 2-1 defeat at Strasbourg on Saturday. Goals from Nuno da Costa and Stefan Backhoeken did the damage. Strasbourg had been languishing fourth bottom before kickoff, while PSG held a 10-point lead at the top of the table. Yeah, a surprising result that no doubt ruined many people's accumulators. Uh, I think no one saw this one coming. I think that's a understatement to lose to Strasbourg when you've been dominating the league so much as you said it's their first loss of the season one of the most shocking results in European football so far this season yeah um, a big big result for Strasbourg um, a feather for their cap no doubt Um, and they're looking really really strong at the moment they're climbing the table um, and for a newly promoted club of their size they're doing very very well Monaco took full advantage to jump into second place in the table during PSG's lead as Radamel Falcao's second-minute strike provided enough to see off Ongas 1-0. Marseille didn't play until Sunday uh, and Florian Tovan's first-half penalty rescued a point as they were forced to settle for a 1-1 draw at Montpellier. Lyon bounced back to winning ways as Maxwell Cornet and Mariano were both on target in a 2-1 win at Caen. Bruno Genesio's side, who slipped to their first league and defeat in nine games last week at home to Lille, registered their fifth win on the road this season to maintain their Champions League challenge. Yeah, I think the the biggest story in Ligue 1, other than obviously the PSG result, is the fact that Lyon didn't score five goals away from home for once. <laughs> We've become so accustomed to Lyon banging in the goals, and obviously the last few weeks they've stumbled a little bit, but they're back on track, and with PSG dropping points, 
there is that slim glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, Lyon or a Monaco or Marseille could sneak their way back into the title picture. Moving into the Bundesliga and normality seems to have been restored. Bayern Munich now moving six points clear following a 3-1 victory over Hanover 96. Goals from Arturo Vidal, Kingsley Coman and Robert Lewandowski. Uh, whilst all the teams around them dropped points. The big one being Leipzig losing 4-0 away to Hoffenheim. Quite a shocking result out of Leipzig. Yeah, um, a very good result for Hoffenheim. They've been floating around just outside the Europa League places. Uh, they've got a good young coach um, and obviously that victory kind of brings them closer to the chasing pack and obviously with Dortmund's continued poor form. Which I don't um, think we can talk about anymore. We've had enough of talk about how bad Dortmund have been this season. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a perennial occurrence in yeah. our podcasts. Uh, but Hoffenheim are really kind of in and around that chasing group and are very much looking like they're going to contend for Europe again like they did last year. Well, the victory over Leipzig does mean they are now just one point off the Champions League uh, places. Uh, they're on 23, glad back on 24, then you've got Schalke on 25 and Leipzig on 26. So they have really pulled themselves back into contention, having just missed out on uh, the Champions League after their qualifying rounds against Liverpool uh, in August. To try and possibly get back in, that's going to mean a lot to Hoffenheim. Uh, I mentioned Mönchengladbach uh, down in fourth. They lost... A disappointing result, a 3-0 loss to Wolfsburg away. And it's just the idea that now that the title race from last week where it was so closely contested, where it was five points between four teams, it's now back to six points between just first and second and Bayern seem to be walking away with it again. Um, I wouldn't write it off too early. I still think there's a long way to go in the Bundesliga. And as you can see, results change week on week. So I think that's going to be a really interesting story to follow throughout the year to see who's changing places. I'm sure Dortmund at some point will have a phase uh, where they win a lot of games and catch up, whether it's under Peter Bosch, who knows. Um, and obviously Bayern tend to have a string of strong results and then throw up a, a, a random one every now and then. Um, Hoffenheim, their challenge for for the top four places is going to be very dependent on whether they can keep hold of Sandro Wagner in January. He's been linked with a move to Bayern to play uh, to play back up to Lewandowski. An interesting decision because he's obviously coming towards the end of his career. He's thirty years old. Uh, he's not a considered, you know, a, a big goal scorer. He doesn't hit very high tallies season on season. But he's very key to that Hoffenheim team. Yeah, he's a player that sort of will get you your ten, maybe fifteen goals in all comps. But the reason they're going to you see Bayern bringing someone like him in is because Lewandowski is obviously their first choice. There's no way you're going to drop one of the best strikers in Europe. And he doesn't really get injured. So they need someone to come in that's going to be willing to play second fiddle for his entire time at the club. And like I said, with uh, Wagner being 30, you'd imagine he, he'll be going to Bayern knowing, yeah, I'm not going to be first choice, but he, I'm going to get a nice payday at the end of my career that's going to see me through once I do retire in five, six years' time. Yeah, it's very difficult to attract that top calibre of player you'd really want as a backup when they're not going to get any game time at all. Um, The only reason I find it quite odd is because they have got Thomas Müller who can play in that centre-forward role um, and has done for Germany and for Bayern before. So it does seem that they have got the cover in the squad. However, they don't seem to want to utilise Müller in that role. Yeah, the story of Müller is an interesting one. Is a tale we could talk about for... 20, 25 minutes, how he's gone from being the height that he was to suddenly really being out of favour in the Bayern Munich side. 
Um, but away from the top, down at the bottom, uh, Mainz, two losses in a row now, this time at home to FC Augsburg. They lost 3-1, and suddenly they're back in a relegation fight. They are in 14th on 15 points. You then got Hamburg on 14 points just below them, and Freiburg making up that uh, relegation playoff space on 12, and Werder Bremen uh, on 11 points. So four points between those bottom four. Mines were cl- quite clear a few weeks ago and suddenly find themselves back back in danger. Yeah, um, not a string of poor results for Mainz, um, but two draws a win and then two losses. They're not picking up enough points from the games they really should be picking up points from. Um, and obviously we'll touch on, the, the uh, you mentioned the playoff space. So for those listeners that don't know, the Bundesliga is a slightly different format to most of the European leagues. Um, in their relegation zone, they have two places that are guaranteed to be relegated. Uh, and then the third bottom place team will play the third place promoting team from the division yes. below uh, in a in a one-off playoff game to decide who then plays in the Bundesliga the following season. So rather than what you have, uh, say, in England with the Championship and League One, that where you have the automatic qualifications and then four teams in the playoffs, rather than having that where you sometimes get seventh place getting promoted to the Premier League, um, you now have third place in Bundesliga 2, uh, given the chance to prove themselves against the third worst side in the Bundesliga and yeah it's a one-off match and the winner gets the place in the Bundesliga so a really interesting system one I would I wouldn't be against seeing brought into more leagues I think it's quite interesting I personally rate it Um, I quite like the idea that you're not seeing you know the teams throughout the you know it's it's very harsh to see a team play through a, a season and do very very well finish you know, third and then not get promoted. It's and then a team from lower down the league will get that chance, um, as, as as seen in most European leagues. So it's definitely, I think that could be a talking point. Uh, obviously not currently, but maybe in the future they may look at reassessing how that's run. No, I say yeah, yeah, I completely agree. It's a really really good system, and the idea that the Bundesliga, whilst the top might not be tightly contested at the moment, the bottom does seem to be quite an interesting fight. lastly we move into the champions europa league it's the final match day this week um we're recording actually in between tuesday and wednesday so we've got quite a unique position where we can actually reflect on tuesday's fixtures and look ahead to wednesday night's games uh so in the tuesday games manchester united beat csk moscow 2-1 to qualify for monday's champions league draw as group winners manager jose Mourinho reckons teams will want to avoid them in the last 16 of the champions league i'm not the luckiest guy with draws so it's better i shut up and i I forget it. it. Doesn't matter the team that we get in the draw. I think that team will not be jumping of happiness to play against us. In the other Group A tie, Basel beat Benfica to secure their qualification, meaning that CSK Moscow will go into the Europa League. In Group B, uh, Paris Saint Germain and Bayern Munich had it all to play for going into their final game against one another. Bayern Munich won three-one, but Paris Saint Germain still topped the group on head-to-head. Uh, while Celtic versus Anderlecht ended 1-0 to the Belgian side. However, Celtic go into the Europa League on head-to-head. In quite possibly the biggest shock of this year's Champions League, Atletico Madrid have been dumped out of the competition. They drew 1-1 at Stamford Bridge with Chelsea, which means that Roma top Group C. In Group D, Barcelona secured top spot with a win over Sporting Lisbon, meaning Juventus have to settle for second place. Lisbon had already confirmed their place in the Europa League, whilst Olympiacos finished bottom on just one point. So that's four groups down, but four still to go. Uh, Group E, 
Liverpool, Sevilla and Spartak Moscow all fighting for qualification. Uh, Liverpool will go through as group winners if they beat Moscow at Anfield in the final game. They will also qualify if they just get a draw. Sevilla will definitely qualify if they can beat Maribor, a result you'd expect them to get. And if uh, Spartak don't get a win, Sevilla just need a draw. Moscow need results to go in their favour, not only a win at Anfield, but also Sevilla to drop points. One of those teams will be in the Europa League. Unfortunately, there's no back for Maribor. Uh, and that's, that's group sorted. Group F, pretty much already decided. Manchester City, top five games, five wins. Uh, they are at home to Shakhtar Donetsk, um, who are currently sitting in second. But Napoli are snapping at their heels, who play against Feyenoord meaning that that match is going to come down to the last minute, really, to see which of those two sides will nick that second Champions League spot. Group G, Besiktas already through as group toppers. The big battle between Porto and Leipzig. Porto play in Monaco, knowing a win will guarantee themselves in the hat for the round of 16. Leipzig need results to go in their favour, but to have to play against a strong Besiktas side who are already through. In Group H, Tottenham Hotspur go through as group winners after an impressive campaign, including a win and a draw against defending champions Real Madrid. Madrid qualifiers runners-up on 10 points. Borussia Dortmund will qualify for the Europa League if Apoel lose at Tottenham. And at the bottom of the group, Apoel Nicosia, two points, minus 12 goal difference. They'll finish third if they avoid defeat by Tottenham and Dortmund lose at Real Madrid. Looking at the Europa League... Group A, Villarreal are already through as group winners. Slavia Praha will qualify with a draw against Astana, but if Astana get the win, they will take that second spot. Uh, Group B, Dynamo Kiev are already through, but will clinch first place with a draw. They play Partizan, who are also already through, and if they can win at Kiev, they will take top spots. In Group C, Braga are through and will clinch first place with a win if Ludogrets, who have a superior head-to-head, fail to win. Ludogrets will be through with a draw if Istanbul fail to win. They will be through if they win and Ludogrets lose. Hoffenheim are already out. Group D, Milan are through as group winners in a stark contrast to their league form. AEK Athens will qualify with a draw. Austria Vienne will be through if they win. They would be topping a two-way head-to-head with AEK and a three-way head-to-head also including Rijeka if they win. Rijeka are therefore mathematically out. In Group E, it's a battle for top spot between Atalanta and Lyon. They drew 1-1 in France, so a 0-0 draw or victory for the Italian side would see them take first position. However, if Lyon win or get a 2-2 or above draw, they would snatch top spot. Meanwhile, Group F looks to be one of the most complicated groups in European history as Sheriff, Lokomotiv and Copenhagen all compete for qualification. Group G, Stour Bucharest are through and will clinch first place with a win. Pulls in a through due to their superior head-to-head with Lugano and will clinch first place if they win and Bucharest don't. In Group H, Arsenal are through as group winners. Vena, Cologne and Barté will be through if results go their way. Group I, Salzburg are already through as group winners. Marseille will be through with a draw or if the other game is drawn. In Group J, Ostersunds are through and will clinch first place if they win. Athletic will be through with a draw. Zoria will be through if they win. Hertha Berlin are already out. Group K is already decided as Lazio are through as group winners and Nice are through as runners-up. Zolta Wagen and Vitesse are both out of the competition. And in Group L, Zenit are through and will clinch first place with a draw, while Real Sociedad are through and will clinch first place with a win. Rosenberg and Vardar are also out of the competition. 
group stages of both competitions will come to a conclusion this week and the competitions will resume in February. So Linus, I know we've gone through all the groups. It's been kind of almost like a final score reel off of who can qualify and who can't. Um, Who do you fancy to win the Champions and Europa League and why? Uh, the Champions League looks incredibly highly contested. There's a lot of teams that could possibly win it. But I'm leaning more towards Bayern Munich. They have been a strong, strong outfit in Europe for several, several years. One of the best teams in the world for a reason. They're finding their form again. And you saw in a game against uh, PSG on Tuesday, they can put the big boys to the sword. So they've got such a strong team. So I'm leaning towards Bayern Munich for the Champions League. Um as for the Europa League, I've already got the smile on my face. I'm going for Arsenal. Shock, Cora. <laughs> um, I think, yes, as well as obviously me being an Arsenal fan, I have to stand by my boys. But I do think that they actually are one of the strongest teams in the competition. There are some other good sides there. But I think if Wenger starts taking the competition seriously, that starting eleven he could put out is, I would go as far as say, the strongest starting eleven out of any team in the competition. Um, so I'll contest you there first of all. Um, I don't think Arsenal are the strongest team in the competition. We're going um, to fight. I think, I think after the Champions League um, groups resolve themselves, um, I would instantly head for Atletico. Uh, Atletico Madrid dropping into Europa League. I think that if they can find a bit of form, I think Diego Simeone, if he prioritises the Europa League um, over, say, the Spanish Cup, then I think they'll be there into the latter stages and they'd be my 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 ticket to maybe win the Europa League. In terms of Champions League, I'm going to go for a more left-field option for a team that hasn't actually won the competition before but has a manager who has. Um, I think Manchester City may well win the Champions League this year. Bold, bold claim. Bold claim. Um, I agree with you. There's lots of teams in there that look like they could win the competition. PSG have scored lots of goals in the group stages, but as you said, they lost to Bayern. Um, I think Manchester United under Mourinho will go deep into the competition. I don't think they have enough to win it. Um, Madrid faltering in the league and haven't been particularly impressive in their group. Yeah, I was going to say, neither of us have gone for Madrid to make it three in a row. No, and neither of us has mentioned Barcelona. And I don't think that they'll do too well in the competition this year because of their defensive frailties, which we touched on earlier in the podcast. Yeah, I agree. I think they'll be... There will always be a threat there, Barcelona. But I agree, defensively, they are looking vulnerable and against teams like Manchester City or Chelsea or Roma or PSG. The list goes on. The list goes on and on and on. All these teams that are scoring a lot of goals in this year's competition, Barcelona could become victim of one of those thrashings that have become synonymous with the competition. That's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for listening and find us on SoundCloud and all the usual podcast places. Tweet us your thoughts and feedback at RepsadShiner, BenJohnson93 and LylasH96 using the hashtag European Treble. And we'll be back next week with all the latest from the world of European football. 